Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio. And how the tech are ya? You know, uh, listeners who have been tuning in to Tech Stuff for a while know that I haven't really been terribly enthusiastic about the metaverse uh, whatever that may end up being. I think the main issue for me is that I recognize how that, you know, we're very early on in the hype cycle. Like we're on that steep climb. We haven't rounded the peak of hype yet and started to go down the, like the slope of realization of what the reality is actually going to be. And I think until we start going down the other side, I'm just seeing too many opportunities for folks to get taken advantage of, either on purpose or, you know, just coincidentally. Uh, but that means that, you know, I'm focusing on the near term. That's really what has been concerning me. Clearly, the metaverse is coming, whether I want it to or not. So maybe I need to take a moment to really think about what that's going to look like once it has arrived. You know, to know that, yes, the road to get there is going to be a bumpy one. 
but that doesn't mean that the destination isn't worth going to necessarily. So to kind of help me get out of my, you know, blinders, to get out of that hyper-focus I have on sort of the issues right now, I invited Pete Morrison onto the show. Now, Pete is the Chief Commercial Officer at Bohemia Interactive Simulations, and Pete has been working in the military simulation game, uh, pun intended, for nearly two decades. And I wanted to first get an understanding of what he and Bohemia Interactive do, and then sort of transition to talk about the concept of the metaverse, because what Pete does in many ways, serves as the foundation for what we will see in a fully realized general purpose metaverse. So what follows is my conversation with Pete. I hope you enjoy it. Pete, I want to start off by just saying thank you for joining Tech Stuff. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah. Uh, and I can't wait for us to talk about simulations and and what uh, what Bohemia Interactive does, but I really want to start off just by saying, uh, how did you get into this world? Did you come at it from like sort of a, a, a video game uh, fan perspective and then develop that into a career? Was it something that kind of uh, evolved at the same time as your studies? What's your personal journey story? Right. So I started out as a gamer, I guess in the late 90s, and discovered pretty quickly that I was having more fun creating the games than I was having playing them. And uh, my mum actually got me a book on programming when I was still at high school and I was using the Commodore 64 or Commodore 128 or whatever we had. And I was, I was kind of starting to build these computer games. And it was a domain that I fell in love with from a very early age. And then later on, I joined the army. Uh, again, thanks to my mother, I was actually intending to be a plumber, but my mum pushed me in the direction of the Australian Army. They put me through university where I did computer science uh, and I was involved in bigger game developments there. And then in the Army, in the Australian Army, I was actually in charge of people who did simulation. And I was one of the people in the very early days, it wasn't just me, who had the idea that we could apply computer games for military training, specific, specifically collective tactical training. Uh, and I started working with VBS, Virtual Battle Space, which is the product created by Bohemian Interactive Simulations. Uh, I've been involved with that since about 2004, and I've been with Bohemian Interactive ever since I left the Army in 2005. So as a gamer, I've had a very rewarding career. Wow. And and for those who may not remember the 90s, some of my listeners are young enough where they didn't experience them. Um like that, that was right around the era where we started to see the mod space really take off. You know, you started to see, uh, games in like, in like the, the doom and quake spheres where people started to create level editors and entire, uh, uh, mods of the game that just completely transformed the game. In fact, some games that emerged out of that era started off as a mod of a previous game. So was that kind of the world you were in when you first started, uh, kind of tinkering with this stuff? Yeah, exactly. And so older people like myself would remember Operation Flashpoint, which came out in 2001. And a big modding community formed around this game. Uh, in fact, one of my best friends was one of the hackers. Uh, he later became my business partner who, who pulled apart the file formats and, and started to build some of the uh, level editors for Operation Flashpoint. But uh, I ran a uh, 
a modding site called the Operation Flashpoint Editing Center. Um, I'd like to say I'd like to think that I was a little bit famous online. Uh, it was it was pretty big, and we had staff running that, and it was really really enjoyable. Uh, I loved Operation Flashpoint, modifying that computer game. It almost it almost cost me my uh, college degree because <laughs> I was spending so much time in that in that computer game. But uh, it was that same game engine that we took back to the military, you know, years later, that that same Operation Flashpoint based engine, it's called Real Virtuality. And I initially hired when I started the business in 2005 or so, the people that I knew from the modding community, like I knew a pizza delivery person in Seattle, and he was a really good uh, scenario creator and, and, and mod editor. And I actually brought him to Australia to work uh, as one of our initial employees. And that's where I went for my, my, my first workers, the, the people who knew the computer game. So yeah, my career and my business was a testament to the power of the modding community um, that's only got stronger since then. And you, you sort of touched on it already, but can you tell us a little bit more about exactly what Bohemia Interactive Simulations does? Like, uh, what is their mission? And, and, you know, tell us a little bit about some of the stuff that's been created through there. Right. So Bohemian Interactive Simulations is a very interesting company. And to go back to the start, we were an offshoot of Bohemia Interactive Studio that created that Operation Flashpoint computer game. Mm-hmm. Uh, since then, they've created many uh, big hits, so to speak. Uh, the Armor series, DayZ. Uh, DayZ was huge for them, which is a zombie game uh, created by Dean Hall. That was also based upon the same engine. And uh, there was an Australian, it wasn't me, an Australian gentleman who had the idea of building this first military product based upon Operation Flashpoint. And I was in the military at the time, actually left the military when I saw the potential of that technology and I wanted to to get on board. Uh, And we started to build a version of Operation Flashpoint that was specific for the military training. And it's not training a soldier how to use a rifle or how to drive a tank. It's really training them how to think and putting them into scenarios where they can play out a training vignette to draw out learning points. Now, when you see the soldier's Using this computer game, I'm not technically allowed to say playing, but they're playing the game. But uh, they're playing the game. It looks like they're playing Call of Duty Mm -hmm. from an outside observer. But what they're doing is navigating, communicating, thinking, making decisions, making mistakes in a very safe, uh, cost-effective environment. And the idea is to reduce the amount of time they need to spend training in the field, uh, teach them lessons that they might otherwise learn in a more dangerous environment, potentially even in theatre. And computer games have been fantastically successful in this particular type of role. And so today, Bohemian Interactive Simulations is a much bigger company. Uh, when I started, I was the I was the second employee. We now have 320, 330 staff in, I think, six or seven studios around the world. We provide software to the US Army, the US Marine Corps, the UK Ministry of Defense, pretty much all of NATO now. Uh, there are hundreds of thousands of soldiers trained each year using VBS, which is based entirely on uh, originally a computer game, which we've modified heavily over time. I have to say, it compared to Call of Duty or Battlefield, it's sort of boring because you don't want soldiers to be able to jump in the air, to jump over you know, rocket-launched rocket launched rockets that are coming at them. You want them to be only able to move at a certain speed. You want them to be fatigued. You want them to be a little bit inaccurate. You don't want them to be able to snipe at at 400 meters at a moving target. In the real world, that's very hard to hit. But uh, overall, we're quite unique in what we do. We were the first company to to really branch into this. 
And today we continue to win contracts. We've updated our engine multiple times, our rendering engine multiple times to keep it consistent with AAA quality. Uh, and yeah, we're used all over the world. So I'm very proud of, of uh, what Operation Flashpoint <laughs> has begun. Uh, my favorite computer game. Uh, the fact that we're still using elements of that original engine is is pretty amazing. That is phenomenal, and uh, I love this idea of being able to use uh, a virtual environment to simulate things that uh, that soldiers will potentially actually encounter in the field, but in a way that is safe and replicable, so that you can make mistakes without the obviously real world heavy consequences that come with making those mistakes when you're actually deployed and uh, being able to learn in that, that sense and be able to actually understand uh, the consequences of certain uh, uh, actions. I assume also that as, uh, as since you've been doing this for, for more than a decade, a decade and a half that, uh, that things have changed quite a bit in the way uh, that militaries conduct various operations, everything from updated equipment to, uh, you know, the, the different kinds of theaters that soldiers find themselves deployed in. Have you, have you seen a pretty dramatic shift over those years or has it been fairly steady? Certain things have changed and certain things have sort of stayed the same. So if, if you look at a, a soldier's basic training tasks, shoot, move, communicate, Mm -hmm. those are very similar to what it was even 20 years ago when I was in the army. The theatres that we operate, the equipment has changed dramatically and the capabilities of the equipment. Uh, For example, UAVs. I mean, you might be seeing some of the footage coming out of Ukraine. There are UAVs everywhere, drones everywhere. Mm -hmm. And and this is a fundamental change in in the way that our forces operate. It's affected doctrine. It's affected a lot of things. And so we've been doing a lot of work to simulate those types of devices and even experiment with those types of devices within VBS, allowing soldiers to figure out how do we work this new equipment into our tactics, techniques and procedures. So yes, there's been a change in equipment. The, the basic doctrine hasn't changed a lot. Infantry soldier still does what an infantry, infantry soldier does. Uh, and then when it comes to the, the locations where we're operating, what we heard very strongly about 2012 was that the military wanted a whole earth experience. They didn't want a level. They didn't want a map. They wanted to go anywhere on the planet at a moment's notice. And in 2012, that was pre-Star Citizen, pre-No Man's Sky, Mm -hmm. uh, the idea of having uh, an entire procedural planet that you could just go anywhere on that planet and immediately start training or playing, that was very early days. So we actually invested in that uh, in our our VBS Blue Engine, and we built a game engine that supported that. So within VBS 4, which is our current release, you can go to Africa, you can go to Europe instantly, and there's quite a good representation of that part of planet Earth out of the box. And of course, in the gaming space, uh, and yes, I still play a lot of computer games, this is this has become commonplace. I mean, the latest Star Citizen drops are amazing, that the technology they have for going to different planets. Uh, and what's changing now is access to the cloud. So we have a lot more uh, different data sources that we can pull from down into the game to create higher fidelity environments quicker. Uh- yeah, I would argue we're still in a pre-Star Citizen world, but maybe that's because <laughs> I'm waiting for the full game <laughs> to finally. Have be you a played thing. it recently? I have not, but I've also been I've also been that kind of person who is like, how many years have been have I been hearing about this? I, I know that the the 
there have been releases of uh, significant content. It's one of those where, um, as someone who covers tech and and games occasionally, uh, there there tends to be this uh, uh, certain certain game makers have tendencies to really drive up the expectation, not just of what you're going to get, but when you're going to get it. Um, and Star Citizen, I shouldn't just you know target because it's by far not the only one. I can think of one game maker in particular who has uh, a quite the reputation <laughs> for driving up expectation and then perhaps under delivering. Um, but getting back to this, I, I wanted to ask a little bit more to kind of get the, the sense of the scope of the simulations that we're talking about here. Like typically how many people can one of these, uh, uh, simulation support simultaneously. So right now we are typically servicing what they call battle simulation centers. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are everywhere. Mm-hmm. U.S. Army has 87 of them, I think, and they look like a huge computer lab and they're full of soldiers. And it's not just desktop PCs. There's also tank simulators and aircraft simulators in these massive warehouses where they where they train. So typically 250 is the maximum number that we would put into a single simulation. And, and that's each soldier playing from the first person perspective, just like in Call of Duty. We support 2,000 to 3,000 artificially intelligent units in addition uh, in our current uh, construct. But as I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later, once we move towards the, uh, the military metaverse, we're going to see some dramatic changes there. But right now, that's about what we're doing. And that's still, I mean, I mean, anyone who's played any like multiplayer online, like first person shooter games would understand that 250, that's, that's no small shakes. That's pretty impressive. I mean, I know a lot of people who play, uh, some of the games where when they first come out, uh, have support for maybe 100 or more, maybe up to close to 200 simultaneous players, but, uh, they often, then are the targets of a lot of criticism because there tends to be a, a, a drop in performance. Obviously, when you're talking about products that are meant to help soldiers train, that drop in performance isn't really, that's not acceptable because you need to be able to have that that tool be dependable and uh, usable for that purpose. So um, to that end, I'm like, I'm, I'm curious, what are, what are, do you happen to have some idea about kind of the backend systems that are running this software like how how would you compare that to say gaming rigs today or is it because we're talking about militaries are we talking about you know much lower end but robust computer systems now i'm very proud that we have forced militaries all around the world to buy gaming pcs (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i'm certainly half joking the we use everything that a modern graphics card provides mm-hmm. and in a lot of our procedural generation capability, which means kind of automatically creating a higher fidelity virtual environment than the data kind of gives you, mm-hmm. automatically putting in trees and grass. Um, most of us have heard about procedural generation now. 
that requires a modern graphics card. Mm-hmm. So we, we take advantage of whatever the customer has, and I recommend that the customer upgrade to you know uh, at least a 2080 NVIDIA graphics card, for example. Um, we are working on the Vulkan port right now. If anyone's not heard of Vulkan, you, you'll hear about it shortly. It's, it's the new OpenGL. It's a really exciting graphics library that a lot of games are, are porting to at the moment. It gives a lot of really powerful capability uh, to these game engines. So... We do not recommend that the military use uh, what they traditionally had for simulation, which wasn't gaming tech. Mm-hmm. Gaming technology has just progressed in leaps and bounds. And there was a time, I think it was in the early 2000s, when Silicon Graphics was delivering kind of better hardware for gaming to the US military that was available in the game space. That's completely different now. And almost all of the big flight simulators that I know of, they're using NVIDIA xyz uh and in the gaming space we're recommending nvidia gaming cards as opposed to the professional cards which is good because they're getting cheaper uh we generally try and make sure our software will run well on anything made in the last five years uh, just like a normal computer game so we don't want to force our customers to spend millions of dollars on thousands of new pcs but we do expect expect our customers to stay to stay current we've got a lot more to come and we'll be back after we take this quick break with more conversation with Pete Morrison of Bohemia Interactive Simulations. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. (laughs) 
Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. When VR was first starting to become a thing, uh, we saw some early, very proprietary approaches to VR. Then because the, the VR hit this hype cycle and wasn't able to live up to the hype in the eyes of a lot of people, there was a, a dramatic drop in interest. And it got to the point where people who were dedicating their work to VR suddenly found no support from financial institutions to academic institutions. And they turned to the video game sector in order to kind of pick and choose things that enabled them to continue their work in VR. So you started hearing about people using all sorts of things, like even uh, uh, consumer tech like the Microsoft Connect became a, a, an element that VR researchers were interested in. The Wii, <laughs> the Wii actually was enormously yeah, important. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's great to see that like, there are these parallels where you might start off in this very proprietary closed garden approach, which obviously there, there are pitfalls to that, right? Because if the company that makes that thing goes in a different direction or goes away, you're stuck with a system that no longer has support. It can go obsolete. Whereas when you pivot to using technology that is, is marketed, not just for the military, but for consumer use, you can have a pretty strong level of confidence that you will continue to get that support. And it's, we're just fortunate that the consumer level of, of uh, uh, technology has reached a point of sophistication where you don't feel like you're trading off, right? You're not losing something because you are no longer going in this very focused niche um, proprietary approach. I completely agree. And, and, and I have said many times talking to various customers, it's, we don't have technology problems so much anymore. The technology is there. We have endless compute power in the cloud. We have fantastic, realistic graphics. It's really now, um, for example, in the military, it's a, it can be sometimes waiting for certain people to move on, people who don't believe in game-based training, for example. Uh, there is a cultural shift that has to happen, mm -hmm. not just in the military, but in many uh, serious game-type applications. A lot of people still think of computer games as the annoying things that their kids play, the, the wastes of time, a little bit like my father, uh, who, I, who I love. But you know, he always viewed my computer at home as this kind of waste of time, this box. I, I wasn't using my hands. Uh, I viewed it into well, a, a, a future for me, an entire future. It was mm -hmm. a, a portal into a career. And 
Yeah, so it takes times for cultures to change, and we've seen that acceptance. And I've been quite proud to drive that change in many military organisations. Um, I would say that the US military organisations have always been forward thinking. Uh, so I don't think you've had that problem here in the US. But in other countries, it's, it's, it's certainly been an issue. I can imagine. It's so interesting that the convergence of technology was enabling uh, this approach on a technical level. And it's the buy-in that becomes the bottleneck for certain uh, militaries. That is really fascinating to me. It is somewhat understandable. I mean, I, I suppose if you are someone who hasn't had that hands-on experience, it can be difficult to... Uh, imagine that it would have that level of beneficial effect. Uh, heaven knows we see that in uh, politics as well, right? Where we'll see politicians who perhaps print out their emails, uh, <laughs> then legislating tech, and you clearly get in the tech sector, you you feel this this very uh, intense resistance to that uh, because there's there's this gap between. Uh, a person's understanding and the way things really are. And yet that person is still given the responsibility of, of perhaps legislating that area. Uh, so it, it's one of those parts of tech that I love to talk about, even though it's not, you know, it's not how tech works, but you have to take kind of this holistic view in order to understand why is tech the way it is now and why are certain things in tech uh, perhaps taking longer than you might have anticipated to get, you know, a, a larger rollout. Um, it's because people are not like tech. That's uh, way back in in the day when I was first given the assignment of being the tech head writer for HowStuffWorks.com, which is where I started when I started podcasting. Um, everyone was, all of my coworkers were scared of tech. They were all, we were all English literature or English majors, communications majors, and everyone was scared of it. Uh, and I wasn't. And when people asked me why I wasn't scared, I said, well, because tech either works or it doesn't. People, that's way more complicated. <laughs> I, I agree. And I mean, I, there's a lot of people making decisions related to computer games that don't understand the medium. Mm -hmm. And that always drives me a little bit crazy as a gamer. And you know, my advice to parents, and I'm also a parent, is is to play games with your kids. Mm -hmm. You know, see what they're doing. Understand, and it, it doesn't just apply to computer games, it could apply to anything. Understand if what they're doing is a complete waste of time. Are they just consuming or are they creating? If they're playing Minecraft and they're building castles and they're creating, encourage them to do that. If they're modifying computer games like I was, encourage them to do that. Don't watch YouTube videos of other kids playing computer games. Like that. that is arguably <laughs> uh, a complete waste of time. Um, I might get shot down for saying it, but that's just my opinion. And then in Australia, we, we have the situation where computer games are regularly being banned by a committee of people who I believe have never played a computer game mm -hmm. be, because of, of they, they think they're too violent or, um, you know, uh, and, and so on. And, and I find that very problematic as, as well. You know, so this technology is with us. It's here to stay. And, and we need to all make an effort to understand it. And I'm 42 years old and my daughter is doing things that is already kind of beyond me. The metaverse, for example, which we'll get to, I'm sure I kind of rolled my eyes. But, you know, we, we can't do that. We can't be cynical. And these technologies are moving uh, with huge momentum. And we need to understand them and, and grapple with that. Well, and and that's a great way for us to even segue to talk a little bit about the metaverse. And this is going to require a lot of extrapolation on your part. And and uh, so this is really us kind of batting around 
our understanding of what the metaverse is supposed to be. It's a little complicated because there is no firm definition on the metaverse. Generally speaking, I think the accepted definition is it's a persistent uh, variation of the internet. Perhaps except, uh, um, uh, perhaps it's something that is really focused on things like virtual reality or augmented reality as a way to uh, interact with that persistent representation. Um, you have persistent virtual environments where you can pretty much do all the things that you would do in the real world, but you do it online through this virtual environment, whether that's commerce, you're going to concerts, you're hanging out with friends, you're having business meetings, maybe you're touring a, an actual real world location, either for virtual tourism, virtual vacations, maybe you're virtually touring a house that you're interested in buying. Like there are all these different potential applications, but the, the thing that I keep coming back to is that if in fact the metaverse is going to support all of these and more, it is going to have to be such an incredibly robust infrastructure to support that, that it's, it's hard for me to get my mind wrapped around it right now. And since we were talking earlier about military simulations and you're talking about simulations right now that can support up to 250 simultaneous, uh, uh, human operatives, and then a, a few thousand more artificially intelligent ones. Like that's, that to me is phenomenally impressive. Uh, it is, also, at the same time, I would argue probably a fraction of what most people are thinking of when they're envisioning the metaverse, right? Because they're thinking of essentially they're thinking of Ready Player One or uh, some other science fiction incarnation of this virtual world. So what is your kind of concept of the metaverse? What is what is that? What does that word conjure up in your mind? Right. So I, my thinking about the metaverse and the military metaverse has been shaped by an article called The Full Potential of a Military Metaverse by Jennifer McArdle and Caitlin Dorman. And, and I do encourage people interested in this and how it might relate to the military to check that out. Uh, and it became very clear to me that people are talking about the metaverse versus art metaverse. And there have been metaverses for a very, very long time. Uh, you know, Gabe Newell spoke about this recently in, a, in, a, in an interview that he did. And you know, if we have an online virtual world with the appearance of persistence, then that could be thought of as a metaverse. Um, they quote Neil Stevenson, a sci-fi author from way back, and he says it's a series of interconnected and immersive virtual worlds that afford their users a sense of presence via agency and influence. And that was coined over 30 years ago. So this concept of this online virtual world, it's, it's, not, it's not new. But what's interesting about this is the idea of the metaverse, the idea that there would be only one. And this is an intriguing concept. Within the military, we've been connecting simulations together for 25 years using various wondrous technologies. We can connect a flight simulator to a, a first-person shooter like what we build, connected back to what we call a constructive simulation, which is like Hearts of Iron, where there's divisions kind of moving around as icons on a map. And in the military, we've been connecting those types of things together for years. And what I think is going to happen over time is that 
we'll see the Microsoft metaverse, the Facebook metaverse, and then these things will begin to connect. Because unless they do, we're not actually achieving the vision of the metaverse. We're not, we're, not, we're not actually reaching the promised land, which has a lot of potential, right? I mean, the idea, I think, is really, uh, really intriguing. But the problem is going to be that these gatekeepers that within Web 2.0 uh, sort of won, won the fight, so to speak, these centralized companies or, 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 or companies that have all the data centralized, you know, Facebook is a portal onto the internet in some countries around the world, for example, they're going to need to somehow work together or there needs to be an open source uh, push that gains enough momentum to actually become its own thing that these big companies have to connect to. So when you think about the metaverse as an open architecture where there are different entities and interoperable servers kind of all interconnected via, sh- via shared and agreed upon interfaces, then it becomes a very interesting uh, prospect. So that's my thoughts about the metaverse. And, you know, I, I might talk a little bit about what we're doing in the military, just because I think that could be interesting. So, so to go from where we are today, the 250 players to, with, with 2,000 artificial intelligent units to scale we are using cloud technologies and uh, we are working as part of a big team on the US Army synthetic training environment. And they are looking at employing cloud really in new ways to achieve the kind of scale that the military needs for its training, but also what you would expect to see in the metaverse eventually. Using containerized simulation workers, we can scale up the number of artificially intelligent units into the millions because everybody's connected directly to the web architecture instead of being connected to a game server. We can also dramatically scale up the number of human participants that are connected into uh, that military metaverse, so to speak. So when all the metaverse hype began, I was quite proud, especially of the US Army, who are already thinking ahead and have companies like ours on contract to solve these these types of problems. I believe that VBS4, our current VBS, will be the final version that is sort of tethered to an old school game server. The next version will almost certainly connect directly to a web architecture. So you're seeing some really massive changes. Uh, and if there's one organization that could make a metaverse work for itself, it would be the US Department of Defense. And I think you're going to see almost a parallel development uh, along with kind of Web 3.0 happening out here in the civilian world. Uh, and I think that's quite exciting. It's almost like a race. Pete and I will dive further into discussions about the metaverse, uh, some of the challenges we face both in the near and long term, and more after these messages. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. 
there is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I think we can learn a lot of lessons through the way that the Department of Defense approaches this continual evolution of the military metaverse. Uh, I think those lessons are ones that will be valuable uh, it's, I think, because the the military approach has a, I would argue, a much more focused view on what the metaverse is and what its purpose is and what it needs to do and how it needs to do it. That these are all things that are incredibly beneficial when you're actually engineering it out, right? You you can start to define your parameters. What are your what are your deliverables? What are the things that you absolutely have to be able to do? How can you do it the best way that supports the most people at the same time? These are all things that are easy, not easy. These are all things that are answerable. <laughs> but like when I look at conversations about a, a metaverse, it's more of a general purpose metaverse. What I what I typically don't encounter are those kinds of uh, easily identifiable objectives where you could see like this is something you can actually work toward, uh, like an engineering problem you could work toward solving. And 
I see uh, this could be the issue of the media too. I don't want to put everything on all the companies that are working on creating a metaverse. Obviously they're not going to share everything that they're working on right now with everybody. Um, it would be overkill and no one's really certain which pathways are going to end up being the, uh, the, the profitable ones. And I don't just mean profitable from a financial standpoint. Um, and so there, I, there are a lot of reasons why I think this is, but I, it, the problem it falls that falls on me as someone who's just kind of passionately following uh, developments in tech is that I'm getting a lot of information about the the well vague information about the destination we're heading, but very little about the steps that need to be taken to get there. Apart from the fact that you know you have people like uh, representatives from Intel saying that in order to achieve a really robust metaverse that allows for things like VR and AR implementation. Uh, the tech we have is going to need to be a thousand times more powerful than what we have today. Um, again, suggesting that if you want to support uh, a large number of people in the same environment at the same time, and we've seen that sort of with VR right now, where uh, I think Horizon Worlds, I think Meta's Horizon Worlds supports maybe 20 or 25 people simultaneously right now. So obviously that would not be <laughs> that would not give you the feeling of attending like a massive concert for, I don't know, Metallica or something. <laughs> I mean, it would feel great. Like, I can't believe Metallica is playing for me and 24 other people. But <laughs> but but it's but it doesn't create uh, the experience of the promise of the metaverse. Um, and so I think there's just this big disconnect between sort of the the marketing speak and the hype of it. Uh, and where we actually are. And that to me is what I like to warn people about, because I fear that with that lack of, of clarity, there's a lot of opportunity for people to either uh, get scammed or maybe just engage in speculation that uh, is probably not the wisest choice, especially if it's, you know, you pouring money that you, can't really afford to lose into something. The thing to get excited about is is Web 3.0 mm. and sort of ignore all of the noise and potentially ignore what big companies are doing. So, so Web 3.0, it's, it's, it's almost a redesign of the internet around open technologies, like this concept of an open ledger, the, the technology that underpins crypto, and I hate saying it, but, you know, blockchain, mm -hmm. uh, these technology, technologies have huge potential. And you, you, you sort of need to take a long view or you will get depressed. Because in the short term, I mean, crypto and F NFTs, I'm not going to invest in them because I believe in the short term, they're, they're kind of like a scam. It, mm -hmm. it's, it's pure speculation. And I think it's fact that NFTs are a scam. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater and ignore the potential of these technologies long term. And the Web 3.0 vision is really appealing, right? And it, it does go against, I think, the interests of these companies that want to control all the information. And, and host all the information on their servers and, and scour through that information so they own the data that they can sell to others. Web, Web 3.0 is, is, is a reimagining in, so, uh, in some ways of what the internet could be. You know, they call it the semantic web. It's, it's this ubiquitous um, open internet that uses artificial intelligence to give you what you need uh, based upon you know, your browsing history and what you're doing. But uh, it, it's designed to do this in a way that that information isn't necessarily like owned by Google. 
Uh, and I don't know a lot about it, but the reading that I've done, I am excited about because it's a vision that I think we all can get behind, right? And if enough people understand the vision and where Tim Berners-Lee, you know, the founder of the internet, wants to take kind of Web 3.0, then I think it has a chance. Personally, I think what you're going to see in the short term is the Microsofts and the Facebooks kind of doing their metaverses, Mm -hmm. pretending like theirs is the best at the same time as there is almost a community-driven Web 3.0 metaverse that begins to take shape. I mean, I truly hope that's what happens. Uh, because I don't want to have to, you know, access the metaverse through a single company. I, I want it to be like the internet, right? I, I, mm. I shouldn't have to access it through Facebook. I should be able to just connect, and um, and there I am. And then if I want to contribute to that, I should own what I create. If I create a new house using whatever design tool is provided to me, the intellectual property of that house should belong to me, and that's what should be stored on the open ledger, which obviously is immutable, you know, and uh, everybody can see that I created and own that house. So Web 3.0 is definitely worth looking at. Now, when it comes to NFTs and what's happening in the short term, I mean, there is an amazing, I mean, it went viral. I think it's Dan Olson's The Problem With NFTs YouTube video. I don't know if you've seen it. And it's an amazing takedown of NFTs, Mm -hmm. but it's extremely short-sighted. Yes, NFTs are really bad right now, but the technology that underpins them is awesome. And so I do worry that people are kind of taking a position <laughs> with a very short-term view when we should be talking about where we want to get to. Does yeah, that make sense? I, it totally makes sense. I think, you know, I have repeatedly uh, slagged uh, off uh, NFTs. Like I have, but it's again <laughs> on the way that they're being dealt with right now, which is largely as yeah. this speculative investment slash scam, depending upon the actual you know, implementation, some cases it's out and out scams where people are just trying to, you know, capitalize on the combination of the fact that there are a lot of people out there who are uh, eager to see their money increase and they have a large ignorance of what NFTs actually are. And when you have those things paired together, (laughs) you've got marks, you've got targets for scams. So uh, I, I have a pretty negative feeling for NFTs in their current manifestation I can see the potential benefit of NFTs down the road, just as I could see the benefits of cryptocurrency if it ever emerged from being this speculative commodity and turned into an actual working currency. I just have never seen crypto really behaving like a currency. I've seen it behave more like like stocks or, you know, investing in precious metals. That's the way people have treated it. And so it's like the intent of the thing didn't matter. It's how people interact with it once it gets into the real world and, and it becomes a totally different thing. Um, So I I agree with what you're saying. I also, I mean, I I just recently this past week uh, covered the story about how Snoop Dogg acquired death row records then started to remove some of the albums and songs off of various streaming services because of his uh, pronouncement that he's going to turn Death Row Records into an NFT music label and be the first major music label in the metaverse. Another move that I think I would say is perhaps a bit premature right now, but at the same time, I can see a world where the music industry tries to get behind the idea of uh, an NFT approach as opposed to 
streaming or the classic download digital store model. I don't know if that's going to happen, but it's certainly potentially, you know, it's a possibility uh, with all this focus on the metaverse. I also agree with you. I don't want a world where a massive company has created uh, the gateway to the metaverse, or I would argue even worse, you could have siloed metaverses that don't have any connectivity between them. You could have the Microsoft metaverse or the Facebook metaverse, which just kind of creates splintered internets. Um, it, It makes me think of like back when, before Facebook dominated all of the social networks, you went to wherever your friends were. So like I was a MySpace holdout for a long time because I was out of college by the time Facebook came around. I couldn't get into Facebook when it first started because it didn't have a college email address. I was on MySpace and I was thinking, oh, this Facebook thing, that's flash in the pan. It's never going to be <laughs> like, it's never going to stick around. Um, but, you know, it does create like, like uh, you either get into a, a scenario where ultimately these entities have to work together to integrate their uh, their their interfaces so that you can pass between these. Or you get to a point where, no, they decide they're going to stick it out. They're just going to pummel the competition until they're the only one left standing. Neither of those are particularly good for the individual user. Um, I also think that an open source approach would be ideal. Like having that, having everyone agree, you know, it makes way more sense for us to all focus on open interoperable standards so that we don't have this painful process where everyone's fighting for dominance. Nothing is uh, portable from one experience to the other. And the consumer is just kind of left holding the bag. I have a lot of faith in the internet and you need to almost go one step below the hype, right? So Mm. NFTs, speculative asset, lots of scams, bad. But the idea that I have data that everybody can see that data is mine and it's stored forever on the internet and can't be deleted, it can't be changed, mm-hmm. like that's that's kind of a cool concept, right? So um, I was I was reading uh, about ARWeave or ARWeave, A-R-W-E-A-V-E dot org, and they're trying to make, uh, make it a little bit, uh, I guess, make sense mm-hmm. in the sense that you could store like an entire document so to speak at the moment you can only store like a little bit of text like a url in the nft but what if you could actually store a document what if you could store more data uh and there are these initiatives that i'm very excited about that are looking at the problems and trying to solve them and do it in an open source way right mm-hmm. so i'm really excited about about that i think that. You know, for the military, just kind of bringing it back to what the military is doing, you know, they're going to go a different route. The biggest problem with the blockchain approach is the fact that everybody can see the ledger, right? There's no concept of security. And one of the things that slows the military down uh, in anything IT related is security mm-hmm. for very good reasons, obviously. And there are very big contracts with certain companies for secure clouds and the like. Uh, so I, I think that figuring out where blockchain technology actually is useful and where it simply adds overhead uh, and is not necessary is really is really important as, as well. And, and I think every internet user is almost obliged to do their research a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I'm not saying that people should sign a, you know, do, do a training course in order to access the internet, but, and I guess it would start at school, but it would definitely help. Like everybody needs to do the, uh, the training that my company makes me do, you know, twice a year, the anti-scam 
anti-phishing training. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like that's sort of mandatory, especially for grandmothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that would really help. Yeah, again, it gets to that. It gets to that that target of opportunity for scam artists, right? Like, ignorance yeah. is is one of the biggest opportunities that that cons have when it comes to pulling off their scams. The more, uh, the less aware someone is of something, the less educated they are in something, uh, the more likely you're going to be able to take advantage of that. And so, but that I mean, we've also seen that in pretty much every security story that's out there, you typically, when you really get to the end of most, not all, but most computer security stories, you, you ultimately get to someone somewhere fell victim to a trick. And that's how the the Hollywood version of someone trying to log into a server and typing in a password, getting two incorrect ones. And the third one works almost never happens. You do have brute force attacks that occasionally happen, but they are pretty hard to do. If you're talking about even semi sophisticated security systems, it's far more likely that someone somewhere got compromised, um, one way or another. And we can just apply that across the board for everything, like not just for basic computer security, but pretty much all like internet etiquette, could could benefit from people having that level of oh i understand what the bad guys are looking to do like how they're looking to exploit it and by understanding what they're looking for i have a better appreciation for various processes i know that if someone calls me up claiming to be from the it department and they want my admin admin level uh, name login and password probably it's best not to give it to them straight away we've got a bit more to go with our look at the future of the metaverse but first let's take this one last break working remotely where you are shouldn't dictate what you do work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data wi-fi hotspot with at&t in-car wi-fi on the network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I love this conversation, Pete, largely because like, I have been so kind of laser focused on the issues that I see with the metaverse that it, it often can be hard for me to step away from that and say, well, you know, okay, yes, there are problems that have to be solved before we get to that destination, but that doesn't mean the destination isn't worth going to. That's where I, I can kind of lose my way. Sometimes I get so focused on, you know, worrying about big tech playing too large a role in this or worrying about the scam artists who are taking advantage of people when there is a lot of excitement around this idea or worrying about companies that might be investing heavily in a future, but without, without a clearly communicated uh, pathway for how they want to get there. Those are the things that kind of worry me just because I see it as opportunities for, this to take longer than it should, honestly. Um, but with you to talking with you, I feel better about that because I do think that, you know, we are going to get there. The question is just like how much, uh, you know, how much garbage are we going to get to go through before we hit that destination? Hopefully by the time that we start seeing metaverses, uh, like common use general purpose metaverses start to really take off. I'll still be interested and I won't have turned into a Luddite hermit who lives in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's very easy to be cynical about it, especially if you're like an older gamer, we've all seen second life. We've all played massively multiplayer online games. And the first inclination is to eye roll when you speak to someone who's just learned about the metaverse and they've never played a computer game in their life. But uh yeah, this technology, I mean, my advice to companies that are interested in investing in this area is, is to look at the problems that we're seeing in the short term, you know, the security issues, the, the problems within NFTs and, and invent ways to solve those problems. Uh, and I mean, you probably end up selling your business to Facebook, but uh, <laughs> ideally contribute to some of these, uh, these, some of these organizations. I mean, you know, that's, I think that's the best thing you could do right now if you're kind of a tech entrepreneur. Personally at Bohemia, we are looking at uh, 
the terrain aspect. So the idea that a metaverse requires one of two types of terrain, either it's a full-on fantasy land, which is totally fine. Mm-hmm. You, you know, that's that's what the internet is amazing for and computer games are, are amazing for, just building these fantasy lands. But but also there will be, a, in our opinion, a need for really realistic, uh, a really realistic virtual earth mm-hmm. where you can kind of build your own house in the metaverse in the same location as your house is in the real world. So we are doing a lot on the terrain side. We have a lot of technology related to streaming terrain from the cloud and processing that terrain and uh, procedurally enhancing it and, and getting that out to, to multiple different simulation engines. Obviously focused on the military, but it has applicability sort of outside the military uh, as as well. So I, I really do think this is an exciting area. Uh, and But to get involved and just jump on the hype without kind of understanding, I mean, how many companies were selling blockchain stuff? I don't know five, 10 years ago (laughs) with no real idea of what that was. Um, Yeah, you you really do need to to look at it. I I think especially the the tech investors are sort of smarter than ever. And um, even as I was sort of researching to talk to you, it became clear that it's just moving so, so fast. It it is hard to keep up with it. There's no, there's no doubt. Uh, Yeah. I actually talked to one of my coworkers yesterday and I said, the weird thing that I'm going through right now, the weird realization I'm going through is that, you know, for uh, like 10 years ago, the big concept in tech, like the far off future concept of tech that uh, was a conversation that was just going was about the the onset of the singularity, this era where technology is changing so quickly, you can't even define the present. And I said, here's the weird thing, because I think partly because of the pandemic, which forced a lot of companies to go through very rapid evolution. They started to adopt practices and processes and technologies that maybe they had been considering, but perhaps was on like maybe a five year plan. And they ended up saying, well, we got to do it now because we have to be able to continue to do business in a world that's completely changed. And we saw such an incredibly rapid evolution that is continuing because now the companies are saying, well, it doesn't make sense to go back to where we were. It makes way more sense to build upon what we've learned just trying to get through the pandemic. So it's a very exciting time. I said, it, it feels to me like we might be in the singularity now. It's, you know, maybe in the, maybe in the future, we'll look back and say like, yeah, no, that's when it began. We just couldn't tell because <laughs> we were too, we were in it. But, uh, but I feel like that's kind of where we are. <laughs> It's not the science fiction version of the singularity. It's not like we're all, you know, playing Shadowrun for real and plugging directly into computers and injecting our consciousness into the internet. But, uh, but it feels like we we are almost in this this uh, cycle of such rapid change that just defining what's happening now is a huge challenge. Let alone kind of projecting out what's it going to be in five to ten years. Yeah, ignoring the noise is, is is certainly hard. I mean, within my little industry, there's a lot of hype around hardware as well. Mm-hmm. So the latest VR or MR or AR headset. And for me personally, what helps is uh, within my industry is to identify what we're trying to do. The heart of my business is training soldiers. Mm-hmm. Do soldiers need device X, cloud Y, in order to to train? Will it make them train better? And so for me, I get the luxury of doing that assessment against any new technology that comes along within Bohemian Reactive Simulations. Uh, and it's been very interesting for me to see hype, even within military simulation, about, for example, VR headsets. VR hype ramped up a few years ago. 
many, many computer games were created. A lot of game developers were very unhappy with the profits that they got from that because the market was so inundated with VR games. Uh, I think a lot of people were just like me. I, I bought an expensive VR headset. I played a game. I got a headache. I put it back down and went back to my PC. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it's because I'm 42 and too old to quite understand, but VR headsets were um, kind of a painful experience for a lot of a lot of people. Now, here we are today, and instead of just pure virtual reality headsets, we now have mixed reality headsets where we can, similar to Microsoft HoloLens, we can mix the virtual and the real world. It's a much more pleasant experience for the operator. You don't get a headache as quickly. And we're seeing for the first time, for example, pilots saying, oh, hang on, yeah, this could potentially work. Whereas up until one or two years ago, the pilots were saying, nope, unless it's a big dome with images projected on a screen, you know, I, I don't want to use VR. So we are beginning to see changes, but, but these changes come slowly. Mm-hmm. Like they don't come quickly. And it's very interesting for me to go back and look at presentations from futurists in the past. Uh, I mean, I've been doing this almost 20 years, and you know, I, I think that the, the progress has been steady. Within our little area, obviously, things like social media sort of exploded, uh, and you never know when the next explosion is going to be. Um, but with, for me personally, what I've done to focus our business is just how do, we, how do we do our thing better? How do we train soldiers better? And if it doesn't do that thing, then it's useless or potentially useful for marketing. And that's about it. And and that's the sort of approach I want to see kind of adopted across the industry. I feel like with that approach, uh, you're able to work toward that goal more concretely. You're more likely to achieve the the goal than if you have a more vague definition and no one's really sure one, what you mean. And even if they kind of have a grip on what you mean, they're not sure how to get there. It makes me think uh, I have a background in acting and I once had a director jokingly give me the least helpful direction I have Mm -hmm. ever heard, but it was a joke where he said, Jonathan, could you act more which doesn't mean anything at all. Like, like it doesn't mean anything, but it was, it did make me laugh. Um, and then later he gave me very concrete <laughs> direction that was actually helpful, but that's, that's the way I feel that a lot of companies are kind of taking this, or at least that's the communication. Again, I shouldn't project too much on the companies. A lot of this comes from press releases, which might be drawn up by someone who is working from bullet points, or it might come from the media where you've got, you know, another degree of separation from the actual source. Uh, I'm trying to be a little more gracious in my, uh, in, in the way I, I analyze the metaverse. Uh, Pete, I have to say it has been a real pleasure to have you on the show. I could have you back and we could chat about, uh, computer games as much as you like. I love computer games too. Yeah. They're they're amazing. I still play them. I, I I think I'll be the guy in the nursing home when I'm 85 playing the computer game. You know, I just it's such an important part of my life. Um, everything that I have is a result of computer games uh, and the amazing people that are behind them. So um, yeah, I I recommend people play more games. Well, out of curiosity, <laughs> before I before I let you go, uh, what's a computer game that you're uh, currently playing? Doesn't have to be your favorite, but something that you go to. So I just played uh, Space Engineers for oh, the okay. first time. Yeah, yeah. And because I have a, a programming background, you can actually like program awesome, awesome inventions in Space mm. Engineers. It's like it's like it's like Minecraft, but a little bit more for forty-two-year-old men. 
dare I say. <laughs> so I, 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 lo- I love computer games that uh, where you have to create, and, and mm. I've really enjoyed that. Uh, I've been playing Star Citizen, which mm. I do recommend people check out. It has come a long way. Uh, I, I've enjoyed it. I've played it for about 100 hours, and it's been a positive experience. And so uh, I, I used to be very pessimistic about their chances. Now I'm just kind of lukewarm. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, just two more. Elden Ring. Elden Ring. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, that's yeah, like the course. big one right now. No, I have to play it. I have to play it. No, I love it. I'm a big fan of the Soul series, so I love I love Elden Ring. And then I have been playing the computer game that got banned in Australia, RimWorld. So I'm sorry to my Australians uh, <laughs> that you guys can't get that game, but it is it is fantastic. Uh, excellent. As for myself, in case anyone's curious, uh, the game, my go-to game, because I can play a level and then like bounce off. Not tonight too. If you ever wanted to be a bouncer in front of a nightclub, it's kind of like papers, please. It's one of those games where you're like checking stuff against data that's in your hand. Um, I know I'm not really selling it the best way here, but it's, I really love those games. Uh, I was a big fan of papers, please. And a big fan of the first, not tonight. And this one, there's a lot of pretty heavy handed commentary in it, but I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, we're spoiled for choice. Uh, the amount of it is amazing what's available. Well, yeah, and j- if you dive into the independent gamer, like the stuff that's just being released directly to the internet, and like you go to a place like Itchio or something like that, it is beyond overwhelming to see that. Like you're gonna be spoiled for choice when it comes to innovative experiences. Um, yeah, I'll definitely have to have you back. We'll have a rap session about like computer games and the various eras and the standouts and things of that nature. Uh, But for now I should probably let you get back to creating virtual worlds uh, and, and doing what you do best. Thank you again for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks again to Pete for being on the show. Uh, I think it's important to chat with folks who have a different perspective on topics Uh, particularly people who are kind of in the thick of things, you know, in something that's at least related to that topic. Uh, Pete certainly has, you know, tons of experience building out platforms that allow for numerous people to congregate in a virtual space. I don't have that experience. So getting his insight was invaluable. I'll likely have to do a future episode about Web3, you know, Web3.0, which is another tech concept that I have some concerns about. I like the idea behind Web 3.0. I think the idea is a very strong one. It actually, kind of the same way I think the internet idea is a very strong one. This giant communications network that democratizes so much of what previously had been siloed. However, I do have some concerns that what we're going to see in practice with Web 3.0 will effectively be the same old song played on new instruments. Uh, In other words, that some new parties will end up becoming the sort of uh, centralized monoliths of that particular incarnation of the internet or the web. But, you know, that's another topic for another episode. And I'll probably reach out to someone who has more experience in that to kind of address some of my concerns and explain where I may or may not be off base. So look forward to that. I don't have anything firmly in the works on that right now, so it might be a little bit before I get it. But I really want to get my head wrapped around the whole thing and just to make sure that the the concerns I have are either merited or maybe that I it's based off a misunderstanding, which is entirely possible. I don't magically understand everything right away. But in the meantime, 
If you have suggestions for guests that I should have on this show in the future or topics that I should cover on Tech Stuff, please reach out to me. The best place to do that is over on Twitter, where we use the handle TechStuffHSW. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.